happy Palm Sunday, everyone. And, um, you know, it's really interesting that in the church context, we have a number of really strange uh, religious kind of ritualistic uh, days. You know, in a few days, we'll be celebrating Good Friday. That's uh, kind of this church thing. We will celebrate Easter Sunday. We are going to celebrate um, Christmas um, Day at some point. And... Um, Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday to me is just kind of the strangest one of all of them, especially if you've never heard of Palm Sunday. It's really, really weird. And so depending on what generational cultural background you're from, it could mean a variety of different things. And for some of you, like, they may be giving away free Palm Pilots. And then for some of you, like, what's a Palm Pilot? Um, <laughs> Google it. It's a fascinating device. Um, and... Um, you know, for some of you, you're like, that's just when I cop an attitude, like talk to the, you know, to the hand because the, the face ain't listening or whatever else uh, you may do. I don't know if that's, that was a thing 10 years ago. Google that too. Um, but Palm Sunday is not about pilots and it's not about copying an attitude. Um, it's just speaking about a day um, a number of centuries ago, uh, the week before Jesus was crucified, when he was making his entrance into Jerusalem, and a bunch of his disciples and a bunch of his people started laying palm branches to pave the way on the ground for Jesus to ride in on. And hence, this day became known as Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, the Sunday before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the truth is, I've never spent a lot of time in the passages on, on Palm Sunday and uh, thought, you know, hey, let's take some time to just look at the passage of Scripture that explains or talks about or captures the events of that first Palm Sunday some centuries ago. And we're going to look at this story in Luke chapter 19. And ironically, in Luke's version of the story, there are no palm branches. Um, so please know that oftentimes these uh, churchy names are names that people came up with. They're not biblical terms for these days. They're just terms that we use to remember particular events. And we want to look at the events on that Palm Sunday and just ask what we may learn from this story this many years removed. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. If you have a copy of the Bible, um, and you can feel free to turn there. Um, if you don't uh, have a copy of the Bible, we're going to have the verses um, up here on the screen in a, uh, a little bit. And uh, I don't know how much you can hear it, but here up on stage, the wind is making some funky sounds. It sounds like, you know, bats are celebrating Palm Sunday up in the ceiling. The vents are doing some funny things. So you may hear some funny noises. If you want to consider it the anointing of the Lord, you can feel free to do that. But mainly it's just some strange wind sounds on account of... Um, the weather and the rain outside. So let me just take a moment of silence and see if we can hear it together. Yeah? <laughs> the Lord is with us. People, let's get into his word now. All right. Um, Luke chapter 9. Anyone who watches this uh, later on is going to be truly confused about what was happening in here. But uh, Luke chapter 19, we're going to start reading at verse 28. Here we go. Palm Sunday, number one. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to 
Jerusalem. Okay, so Jesus is heading from uh, Jericho to Jerusalem. Uh, No news there. Jesus had been to Jerusalem on many occasions before, but none quite like this one. This trip to Jerusalem would be the final trip Jesus would ever take. Um, He is going to Jerusalem with no plans of leaving the city because in less than a week he's going to face his darkest and loneliest hours. Um, In fact, he will give his life on a cross to pay for our sins and to purchase our forgiveness. But as we'll find out here in a moment, Jesus isn't just going into uh, Jerusalem. Um, He is going into Jerusalem with the plans of making an entrance. Jesus is about to have a personal parade. In fact, if you really want to know the truth about it, uh, Palm Sunday is pretty much the going away party that Jesus planned for himself. That's really what happened, and that's what we're about to read. And the reason that is very significant is because as Jesus planned his going away party, he lets us in on the things that he enjoys. He lets us in on the things that matter to him. If you're going to plan a party for yourself and you get to decide what's in that party, you are going to choose the things that are most meaningful to you. And we're about to learn what's most meaningful to Jesus. And in this party that Jesus is about to plan for himself, we also get a sense of how Jesus wants to be remembered or how Jesus wants to be recognized. Oftentimes when I think about some of Jesus' lasts, I tend to think about Jesus' last experience on the Mount of Ascension when he gathers his disciples and he gives them final instructions telling them, hey, this is what I want you to do for me. But oftentimes I neglect Jesus' last trip into Jerusalem, his final entrance into Jerusalem where he's announcing, this is what I want you to know about me. This is who I am and these are the kinds of things that I am into. So we're about to discover this in Jesus' party that's about to be thrown here. Now, Um, typically Jesus has been pretty coded and quiet about who he is. He doesn't like the attention. He's deferred the the, the spotlight elsewhere. He's, hey, shh, don't tell anybody. Keep it on the down low. But on this final trip, Jesus is like, nope, I want a party thrown in my honor. And this is going to get really interesting. Um, All right, verse 29. As he, Jesus, approached Bethpage in Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them. All right, let's pause for a quick second. Um, So Jesus is making his approach, right? He's approaching, and he's now about two miles outside uh, the city of Jerusalem where he suddenly stops. And uh, he, he gives instructions to two of his disciples, and these instructions, might I say, are super strange. Really, really strange. He gives them some instructions to help him make his grand entrance, his great parade into Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to read what's in my Bible And you can see if it's the same as what's in your Bible, because um, this is just right here an odd start to the party. Verse number 30. My Bible says, go to the village ahead of you, 
And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. It's a little bit of debate, but likely he's actually speaking about a baby boy donkey. Um, you will find a colt tied there in said village. I'm going to keep reading what my Bible says. Which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. <laughs> that is a great scene in the Jesus Chronicles. Come on, admit it. This is a great scene in the life of Jesus. And come on, admit this too. If you read this closely enough, doesn't it kind of make you question your faith in Jesus just a little bit? Be honest. It does for me. I'm just going to say because this is pretty strange here. Again, I don't know how your Bible reads, but in my Bible, Jesus just said, all right, he didn't say this, but here's the situation. Um, I am throwing a party in my honor, and for my party, I would like a number of things. Thing number one, I would like for you to go and steal a baby boy donkey and bring it to me. I don't know what your Bible read. That's what my Bible said. It will be tied around a tree with no chains and no padlock and no code and no security or nothing. Untie that sucker and bring it to me. Um, now, this is a portion of the message where I wish I had some cute little creative cultural caveat to explain to you how back in that day, um, uh, uh, donkey jacking was uh, a, a gesture of love and affection. But I've got nothing. Back in that day, this was just a gesture of theft. I'm just saying. I don't know what your Bible says. That's what my Bible says right here. Now, in that context, people may have lent their animals, you know, for transport if somebody was visiting town, or, or they would have rented their animals to somebody who may have been visiting town. But in both of those situations, it required simple things such as permission, for one, or payment. Jesus is like, no, don't sweat any of that. Just go straight jack that thing, hotwire that sucker, and bring it to me. My Bible. Maybe not yours. It's my party, and I want a donkey. Okay. Now, if you two happen um, to not be super sly, and you get busted by the owners, and they happen to ask you, why are you doing this? Which is a fair question. I would like for you to simply tell them the Lord wants it. The Lord needs it. The Lord has need of it. The end. Now, to make things even a little more tender to the heart, um, in that context, I will tell you this, that oftentimes the rich and powerful would ride around their mode of transportation, transportation of choice, Uber of choice, would have been a horse. Uh, those who were less well-off, their transportation mode of choice would have been a donkey. 
Jesus is like, yeah, 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 go rob the poor couple. Yeah, that's, that's the one. And I want a donkey that's never been ridden before, which means this is a really young donkey. Uh, this would have been one of their most prized, valued possessions, if not their most valued possession. And Jesus is like, that's the one I want. Go bring it to me for my party. And Operation Ocean's Eleven carries out in broad daylight. This is awesome. This is awesome. As Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem, he wants to make very clear who he is and what he is about. And this is how the story starts. And I think this is incredible. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, <laughs> um, okay, I've been the humble <clears throat> And I've been the gentle carpenter from Nazareth. Yeah, I've been the tender teacher from, from Galilee. Mm. I've said please a lot. I've said thank you a lot. I've been super polite a lot. But on my final exit, can I just take a second to reintroduce myself? I am the Lord. And that means everything, everywhere, don't get it twisted, is mine. And if I want it for any reason at any time, I can take it whenever I want without having to explain it, without having to apologize, without having to ask for permission, without having to say please, without having to say thank you. I am the Lord. Go get me what I want. This is such a fascinating way for him to introduce himself as he goes towards his crucifixion. And if they ask, tell them the Lord wants it. That's all there is to it. He wants it for what? If I had to explain it to you, would I be the Lord? This is such an interesting shift because for so long there's been this perception of Jesus and in many ways Jesus has been like, hey, I want to be very deferring and I want to be very gentle, but I don't want you to mistake who I am. As I go out, I want you to understand I am the Lord. This is a powerful, powerful scene. Um, there's no way to pretty this story up. Um, I've heard people say, like, well, maybe they were close friends of Jesus, and so uh, they were, with, like, what? How many close friends do you know who just come and straight jack your car from your house without asking, without saying anything? No, there's no way to pretty this story up. This is stealing. <laughs> Unless you're Jesus, in which case it's just yours. And sometimes, I'm just telling you, that precious thing that seems like it was senselessly untied and stolen from your life is the Lord. He is the Lord. 
2018 may have been such a season of laughter and such a season of, of breakthrough. And then 2019 showed up and it seemed like all of that was stolen in a moment. And I'm just telling you, sometimes, sometimes, it's the Lord. Go and untie him from his comfort. I'm the Lord. Wait, what? Go and untie that career that she loves from her. Wait, you, I'm the Lord. I am the Lord. Everything could not have been going better. We were doing so great. And then one day she ghosted me. And the relationship was over with not so much as an explanation. It was something I valued. Sometimes I'm just saying the Lord. He is the Lord. And sometimes he might just call on what he wants. And three years later, you are still waiting for an explanation. And there's no explanation except the Lord wanted it. This may, by the way, uh, be the first time and perhaps the only time you will hear the following words in church. Poor Satan. Poor guy. Do you know how many times he is blamed when something we valued went mysteriously and suddenly missing from... He, the enemy, the devil comes to steal, kill, and sometimes it's the Lord. Can you imagine that couple like the devil did it again? Nope. Sometimes it is the Lord. Jesus starts this party by revealing himself as Lord. And that would have been in many ways as shaking as it is for us. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. And if he is the Lord, then his lordship demands a certain response. Recognizing his lordship demands a certain response from us. And I think this story gives us some hints as to what those might be. But if he is the Lord, then that will demand a number of things. And the first thing that I think of is our surrender. It will demand our surrender. I mean, and think about how weird this is. Like Jesus is throwing a party, and what does he want? He wants to be recognized as Lord, and he wants our surrender. What? How is that a fun party? Uh, maybe you forgot the party's being thrown in his honor, not in your comfort, but... Surrender, because I know I can handle sweet healing Jesus who blesses me with joy. But the question is, can we handle the Lord who shows up and takes what he wants when he wants? Do we surrender to his prerogative as Lord in our lives? It's even talking about this feels uncomfortable in church. Like, whoa, wait a minute. That doesn't seem nice. Isn't he supposed to play by whatever rules we've placed? He's the Lord. 
And I'm telling you, if we don't start there, Easter will not mean as much as it's supposed to mean. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. And the question is, do we surrender to his prerogative? And I don't know about you, but my immediate thought is I'm tempted to start with questions. And, and the, the first question I, I want to ask, well, well, I would ask a question like this. Well, wait a minute. So how do I even know? If it's the Lord who took something that was valuable to me, or if it was the devil who took something that was valuable to me, or because I lost it because I was disorganized and lacked discipline and foreplanning and just general foresight. Like, how do I know? Great question, but it's not the key question of this particular party. The better question is, do I have anything tied to the tree of my life that I consider off limits to Jesus? That's the question. Is there anything in my life that he is not Lord over, that he does not have the prerogative to say, I want it, that's all there is to it? Maybe it's a job, or maybe it's family, or maybe it's a dream, or maybe it's comfort. And we're going to start to feel this like, really? Is he that much of the Lord? He is the Lord. Everything is his. And if he is the Lord, then I've got to start going from, you know, starting with why to starting with yours. It's all yours. It's all yours. And if you're anything like me, there is deep resistance and there's deep struggle. Even talking about this, I feel the restlessness in the pit of my stomach because I start to calculate what things might the Lord want? What things might he ask for? And yet, may I just hint to you that the most beautiful freedom actually begins in resigning to the fact that he is Lord, and all is his. And by the way, I'll tell you one thing that starts to happen. I mean, even as I've wrestled through this over the week, one of the things that started to change in me is it started going away from why would you, why would you ever take that <laughs> to, wait a minute, if you're the Lord, why would you ever leave anything else? Because it's all yours. Well, there is something about the Lord's entrance into Jerusalem which begins with his lordship. And if he is Lord, that demands our surrender. But surrender isn't the only response. The lordship of Jesus demands. Um, these disciples, um, man, this is crazy. Look at what they do in verse 32. It says, those who were sent ahead, those who were sent, went and found it just as he had told them. This little verse just kind of sneaks in and then sneaks out as if it's no big deal. Well, they went and did what Jesus told them. They just went ahead and robbed this um, poor little couple. Um, but it's really not that simple, is it? I mean, come on, they had to have been experiencing fear. They had to have been experiencing uncertainty. These guys, in my mind, had to have a bunch of 
questions that were not answered as they went along. They had to be experiencing all of the emotions. They, they had to be, you know, at least at some point asking Jesus, like, why don't you send somebody else? Like, send Judas. He likes stealing stuff, right? <laughs> this would be perfect for him. And yet with all those feelings and with all of those questions and with all of those reservations and with all of those uncertainties, verse number 32 says, they went. Why? Because the Lord said so. Responding to his lordship isn't just about our surrender. It is about our submission. It's about our submission. It's not just the art of saying yours to Jesus. It's the art of saying yes to Jesus, regardless of what he wants, when he wants it, and how crazy it might be, and how inconvenient it might be, or how borderline illegal it might feel. A response to the lordship of Jesus means I am going to say yes no matter what? I don't know what crazy and scary and senseless and inconvenient thing Jesus may be asking you to do. But the question is, are you submitting to the lordship of Jesus with a yes? And this is that portion of the service where it is different for different ones of us. But... If Jesus has been calling you to do something, and you know the thing I'm talking about, I'm talking about the thing that you would never think up by yourself. I'm talking about the thing that you would never do except for the Lord wanted it. That thing. And for some of us, even as we start to talk about this, you will be stirred by the Spirit and reminded by the Spirit about that thing that he's calling you to, to go towards, to move towards, to step away from, to step into. That may be scary and crazy and people may call you insane for doing it. But I'm just asking, what might that thing be for you and are you submitting to his lordship with uh, yes, I'm not talking about the comfortable and calculated thing. I'm talking about that thing that calls you beyond what you might normally consider doing, but the Lord said so. And you are submitting with a yes. And can I just tell you, by the way, if you ain't submitting you ain't living. I'm just telling you right now, you are not experiencing those crazy adventures that you get to go on when you're beyond yourself and you're stepping into places where you're like, I don't know what's going to happen in any regard. Until you've done something that you would only ever do because you believe the Lord said, I just don't know if you started to live yet. Okay, you're living, but not living, living. I know for us as a family, um, adoption has been that for us. It's been an act of submission. I wish I could tell you that, that you know, we thought just our life just feels too simple and straightforward. So let's adopt. Um, but that's really not how the story went at all. Oh, I wish I could tell you, like, we love cute kids, so let's have 15 of them running around the house. But that's not how the story went. It's not because we thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be great for the love life. Um, 
love life has taken a hit. But um, it was for us an invitation into the crazy and into submission. It's hilarious. I mean, like for us, we had like, you know, where you make those diagrams with the pros and cons, and then on the, on the, <laughs> on the cons side, we were like, and this, and that, and this, and this, and that, and this. Turn the page. And this, and that, and this, and that. And then in the pro side, we're like, God, the Lord wants. And that was pretty much it. And the Lord invited us into it, and we cannot shake this. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt this is what he's calling us to. But how about this, and this, and this, and this? And I wish I could tell you that we leaped with this excited, like, oh my goodness, yes. But no, it was a process, just like Abe and Lisa, of stepping in to our yes. And it's continued to be an act of submission for us. Uh, In fact, at this time, last Sunday... I would have been convinced that I would be here next Sunday. That's what we were planning for. I couldn't wait to to celebrate Easter here with my church family. I was looking forward to it. It was super exciting. And then the Lord messed with all of that. We got word that it is time to go and get your little Haitian baby number three and bring her home. And, um, okay, okay. Yeah, you're all excited, but um, for us, though, <laughs> um, I'm like, number one, it's been a difficult year, first of all. Can we just be honest about that, Jesus? And number two, Lord, you know how much we've been working and planning towards Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, Lord. And then this baptism Sunday, the week after that. So couldn't you just, maybe I'll tell you what, maybe we can negotiate and then we can just delay it a little bit and then I'll go later. How about that? And the Lord is like, I'm the Lord and I insist. Um, And also condo PS, in case you were wondering, Easter is actually more about me than it is about you. And baptism, believe it or not, was my idea, not yours. You are actually not as essential to all of this as you think. But you are essential to submitting to the thing that I'm calling you to do. So guess who tomorrow is jumping on a jet plane to go get chocolate baby number three reluctantly? This guy. And again, I wish I could say my life is a life of submission or that my life is a life of quick submission. Um, But I cannot say that. What I can say is every time we've taken a step to submit to his lordship, we have been invited into an adventure that we couldn't have possibly imagined. I'm just asking you, what might the thing be that his lordship is inviting you to submit to? That Really, the only reason you would do it is because the Lord said so. And can I invite you to submit to him with a yes? Verse 33, as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? (laughs) No chill, man. These guys, clearly great fishermen, but terrible thieves. Terrible. They get so busted. Um, And then verse 34, they replied, the Lord needs it. And apparently that explanation 
worked. I wish I had time to tell some of you who may be on the cusp, who may be on the edge, and you're not quite sure, should we say yes to this crazy thing that is inviting us to submit to? Can I just tell you that when you say yes, his lordship is enough. And you will be blown away by the number of walls that come crashing down in your presence. And all the things you thought were impossible start to become possible. Because if Jesus says, go do it, he has already made every provision necessary ahead of you. But we're not talking about that right now. These guys, they go do it. And of course, it happens just the way Jesus said. And all of their fears are met with cooperation. Verse 35, they brought it to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. I love this scene in the story. The disciples start padding the colt with their cloaks, um, with their garments, uh, you know, to, to make the ride more comfortable for Jesus. And then they lift Jesus up and they put him on this animal. This is so awesome. And I think it teaches us something about service. It teaches us something about service. They are serving Jesus. And you'll notice in the story, Jesus doesn't tell them to do any of this. They do this by choice. They do this because they want to do this. And I believe that this is one of the most beautiful responses to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I believe this is one of the most enlightened responses to a recognition of the lordship of Jesus Christ. I believe this is that next level to which we all aspire in realizing who Jesus is. They serve Jesus. This is beautiful because service is that thing that happens when it's no longer about what he demands and it becomes about what he deserves. Service is that thing that happens in us when it's no longer about the duty to his lordship. It becomes about the desires of my heart to serve him. That's a next level of response to the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is when it dawns on you. I don't know how you read this story, but let me tell you how I've read this story. Um, I read this story as um, the disciples hearing, the Lord wants us to go and steal a donkey. Donkey without permission. That's how I read the story. Something happens here. I don't know if the Spirit gives them a revelation about the Lordship of Jesus and they start to read the story a little bit differently. And all of a sudden, the story starts to read like this The Lord asked us to go do something for Him. The Lord. And there is a shift that happens, and it's a shift I pray the Spirit would make in me, and a shift I pray the Spirit would make in you, where it stops being about, it's going to cost us what? We have to risk and do what? And it shifts to, wait, who's calling us to run an errand for him on earth? Who's calling us to help him, you know, make his entrance into the world? Who is calling us to help throw a party in his honor? Who is helping us to announce to the world who he is? The Lord, he's inviting us to be a part of this. And something shifts, and all of a sudden, it becomes a privilege more than it becomes a burden. They serve him. 
And I wonder if for some of us, we aren't at the place where the Spirit of God may stir us and say, it is time to transition to a place of serving his lordship. This is beautiful. This is personal. I don't care what it costs. I don't care how inconvenient it might be. I don't care what my perfect plans were. I get to serve the Lord. I just want to do whatever I can now to make his ride more comfortable. Frankly, I want to do whatever I can to lift him up. Something beautiful happens here. And I think some of us, I know I am still in that duty mode. And I'm praying that I'll be shaken free of some of that. That, well, if he demands it, I guess I'll do it. But when I start to understand what Jesus wants me to know about him, that he is the Lord, uh, I think something starts to move into, I do it because I get to serve the Lord of lords and the king of kings. I get to be a part of what he's doing in this world. And all of a sudden, it's not about what he demands. It shifts to what he desires. And then it shifts to I desire what he desires. And something starts to happen that I pray will happen in us. And you start to dream about what you can give. And you start to dream about what you can do and who you can reach to make the name of Jesus greater. What you can do to lift his name up just a little bit. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not there and I would love to be there. Um, but I'm starting to experience even bits of this. Um, where all of a sudden I'm like, well then, um, I... Um, I get to jump on a jet plane to go get my daughter from Haiti. And I get to be part of, of telling the heart of God to, to the world by bringing this beautiful girl home. And she gets to be part of showing the greatness of God in our home. And you know what? This is too good for me to go by myself. So I'm going to take my oldest two kids so they can be a part of what it means to serve and submit and to be on this journey together. But we start to ask, how can I come alongside design outreach? Um, what, what can I do at work, Jesus, to serve you as Lord and to make your name great? What can I do in the kids' wing? What can I do at the oil change? He is Lord, and he deserves not just our surrender and not just our submission, but our service. And then verse number 36, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. It catches on. It usually does. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Finally, Jesus makes his grand entrance. This was what he wanted, and it's kind of anticlimactic if you ask me. I mean, of all the things Jesus wanted, this is my going away party. Uh, this is going to be epic. And of all the things Jesus wanted, yep, he wanted some singing. Really? Yep. 
for my final entrance, I want to go out to the sound of songs. I want to go out to the sound of the songs of my people. Yup, this was always going to be a praise party. And singing biblically is not so much about keeping a tune or keeping a beat as much as it is about the proclamation of the praise of Jesus. It's about the expression, exuberant expression of the praise of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know that I'm Lord. And here's some of the things I want. I want to go out with singing. I want my people to praise with proclamations who I am. Am. This is crazy to me. And for that reason, by the way, we will always be a singing church. We will always be a praising church. Now, Lord knows we're working on the shouting part. Uh-huh. There's a shouting section. The movement is growing. But we will always be a praising church, a singing church, because Jesus loves the songs of his people. He loves the proclamation of praise of his people. We don't do it because we feel it on some weeks more than others. We do it because he's the Lord and it's what the Lord wants and what the Lord wants he is worthy of and what he's worthy of. We want to be a movement that gives him. And it's really interesting. Songs though, like of all the things, yep. We don't understand what the Lord, sometimes he wants a donkey and sometimes he wants songs. Our response is surrender, and our response is to throw a party in his honor the way he likes it with the stuff that he enjoys. See, for far too long, we've thought that this party is about us. Never was. The parade and the party has always been about Jesus. He gets to decide what he likes, and if he is Lord, we get to give him what he likes. And for some of you, You've been holding out on some of his proclamations, some of his praise that he deserves. He loves singing, which I find really interesting, by the way, that some of these people who are saying, praise you and peace and, and glory are the same people who are going to be shouting, crucify him. And Jesus is like, sing it. He still enjoys the praise of people who don't even theologically understand exactly who he is and what he's going to do. He still enjoys the praise of people who are going to mess up next week and the week after that. I love it. He loves praise so much. Even the broken praise. And then verse 39, this is so interesting. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're so loud. Man, I just pray that can our church just be that church one time? Where people are like, I didn't like it that they were so loud. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um. Verse 40, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Did I mention that Jesus loves the praise of his people? He loves the songs of his people. And when his haters try to stop the sound of singing and the sound of praising, Jesus says, listen, if they stop singing, something will. If you've ever wondered how much singing means to him, how much praise means to him, Jesus is like, I will get my praise with you or without you. And I'm saying, can we be with him? If he is Lord and he's deserving of it, can we give him what he wants? I don't know how you sing or if you like to sing, but I came to announce on this Palm Sunday, Jesus loves our songs. And, and of all the ways he could have gone out, this is one of the ways he wanted to go out with songs of praise. 
He wants your surrender. He wants your submission. He wants your service. And he wants your songs. He wants your exuberant expressions of praise. It doesn't have to be just here. It could be while you're walking to your car. But there's something powerful about the songs of praise together. As we come together to throw a party in his honor because he wants it and he's worthy of it. Team, you guys can come on out. We're going to take a few moments here to, um, man, to, to sing a, a very unique song called Communion. Um, let me read really quickly what it says um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 23. It says, uh, verse, chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, a few days from Palm Sunday, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what communion is. It's a commemoration. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then here it is. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, y'all proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You may never have thought of it this way, but when we take communion here in a moment, this may be a quiet moving around, but it is a loud sound in heaven. It is a proclamation that days from this, Jesus Christ would go and offer his life. And this is beautiful because he's not just the Lord who demands. He is the Lord who dies for his people. This is so powerful. He is the Lord who submits to his father and surrenders his life to serve the undeserving so he would lift them up in forgiveness and lift them up in life. And I'm just asking you, don't you want to sing to him? I want to ask again, don't you want to sing to him? That's the appropriate answer. And as we take communion, we get to just proclaim and then we're going to actually sing. And I pray that we will raise the roof of this place, whether you're in tune or out of tune, whatever. He's deserving of it and he'll smile on your offbeat singing. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've been forgiven, this moment is for you to just proclaim his forgiveness. Um, by taking communion. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we'll just ask you to observe, but ask the question, what's keeping you from forgiveness? Because that offer is on the table today. In fact, when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, it says he broke into tears. He started to weep and he wept because he realized how many people would miss out on his forgiveness. And I pray that tears would not be wept by Jesus in this room today, because if you don't know him, that today would be the day you say, I receive your forgiveness. Would you forgive me? I call you Lord, and I want to call you Savior. But for those of us who know him as Savior, let's proclaim his greatness and his forgiveness as we take communion together. And then we'll sing a couple of songs. And we'll be, we'll be loud and unapologetic as John leads us.